The Truman Show is on the air. The Truman Show is on the air. Now from Adams Place on Memorial Boulevard, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS. Here's Truman Jones. Good morning, Rutherford County. Of course, it's the Greg Tucker Day, and we've been talking before everybody came on the air, and uh, we're celebrating Constitution Day here in Rutherford County, and uh, they're going to be doing it across the country. And uh, this one uh, is being sponsored by the Colonel Hardy Murphy Chapter, uh, and it's the DAR, our, our sweet ladies that do all of that for us and uh, also the sons of them are you trying to say something i was trying to say they're very good people oh they're very good people you you had a a nice award given to you uh this year and uh, and well-deserved award and also the sons of the american revolution tennessee uh color guard and it's this friday it's going to be at three o'clock on the, at the courthouse, right there at, at our courthouse uh, building, and uh, uh, the, the bell is going to be rung at three o'clock, and it's going to be honoring uh, the great people who wrote our Constitution and what it has meant to us over all those years. And you need to get there about two thirty because there's going to be a large group of people, and also going to be honoring our veterans. So. Um, be sure you bring your uh, chairs, lounge chairs, and sit there and enjoy. I'm definitely going to be there. I wouldn't miss that. That's one occasion that I would not miss at all. And I know that uh, Greg is uh, celebrating a special day today. Oh, what was that? Don't give me that crap. <laughs> <laughs> well, she told me not to say that. I know, but you've got to. I got to. Yeah. Happy birthday, sweetheart. There you go. <laughs> There you go. You had a you had a a, a special uh, lady with you for a large part of your life. Yeah, yeah. We hadn't hit fifty yet, but we're moving up close. Uh, and uh, you you said something about this being the Greg Tucker show. I'm confused. I'll be off all week uh, because today is Tuesday. It most certainly is. Yes, and usually we're here together on Monday. But uh, I'm, I had a good time yesterday, yesterday morning, uh, with a presentation in the program called Adventures in Learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hosted by the um, Big Methodist Church. Uh, on Thompson Lane. On Thompson Lane. Mm-hmm. And uh, had a class of, uh, I guess it was 25 to 30 uh, young people, and uh, we talked about uh, how we got what we got in terms of our local uh, communities here. Yeah. Now, what subjects are, are you focusing on? Well, yesterday I, I made up a title for it. It was the evolution of the, no, the geographic evolution of Rutherford County, Tennessee. And uh, what I was talking about is how we eventually emerged in the uh, geography of our county mm-hmm. because it shifted and moved quite a bit, particularly if you go back to the uh, Native American period that uh, predated the settlement that came from uh, the coastal areas, mm-hmm. came in this way. 
and uh, interesting. And we we touched on a lot of subjects, uh, some interesting trivia like. Uh, uh, most of us have heard some reference to the state of Franklin, which uh, disappeared, actually never existed. Uh, folks up in East Tennessee were looking for some way to govern themselves and weren't happy with the uh, status they had as part of North Carolina. So they just decided to declare themselves a state mm -hmm. and uh, took most of what's now Upper East Tennessee decided to name the state after uh, a great statesman, Benjamin Franklin, and uh, yeah. declared themselves the state of Franklin. <laughs> North Carolina said, oh, who says you can create a state? You're part of North Carolina territory, the Western territories, North Carolina. And the United States didn't even exist at that time because we're talking something about 1784. Yeah, 1784. Wow. And the United States was struggling at that time trying to get itself organized. Mm -hmm. uh, the Constitution that created the United States uh, was not approved until 1789. So those who wanted to be the state of Franklin found themselves uh, unrecognized by, by any other entity. And they played the game for about four years. And by 1788, the uh, state of Franklin, to to the extent it existed at all, disappeared shortly thereafter the Constitution was adopted and we, we had the United States. And as you know, seven years later, we t the state of Tennessee was set up and recognized. So, well, we worked in a lot of uh, interesting trivia. Uh, as we talked about how Rutherford County itself was evolving and developing. Mm -hmm. And finally, in 1877, uh, the last adjustment, you might call it, of our boundaries occurred. And I had a map, a large map called the Beers map, which was 1878. Mm -hmm. And I pointed out that that map was, in all probability, the first to recognize the boundaries of Rutherford County as they continue to exist thereafter and today. And uh, quite a bit of interest in the map, several questions relating to the map. And uh, I suspect the timing was coincidental, but uh, the uh, final change in our boundaries <coughs> was just before or while they were researching for the map. So it's reflected on that that map. Who did the research? Who, who actually lined out the, uh, the, uh, the the statehood in that particular time of Tennessee? Uh, <coughs> North Carolina interest defined what they call their western territory. Huh. And uh, it uh, Tennessee was pretty much well defined. I can't, I'm trying to think of where there might have been a dispute. There were a few disputes, uh, but by the time it was recognized as a state, mm -hmm. the boundaries of the state were relatively well settled. Uh, but the counties were tossed salad at that time, yeah. and that took a while to work out. And uh, it leads to discuss Rutherford County leads. Uh, very much to the relationship between the Native American tribes mm -hmm. and uh, 
the settlers coming in from uh, to the east. And it was not until 1807, see 1803 is when Rutherford County was set up by the legislature, but they couldn't define the southern border. The uh, other borders, like our border with Davidson County, what actually was happening was part of Davidson County was being spun off as Rutherford County. Mm -hmm. And the line they drew between Davidson and Rutherford was Hurricane Creek, which is still on the map. Mm -hmm. And when you drive uh, to Nashville from Rutherford County, uh, you wouldn't know it, but you still cross a little trickle that's called Hurricane Creek, mm -hmm. or was. Uh, the other boundaries <clears throat> with Wilson County and Williamson County, which pre-existed, uh, were negotiated and defined by survey. But when they got to the southern boundary, nobody knew. And if you read the, uh, the uh, act of the legislature setting up Rutherford County, they say it shall extend to the south to the Indian lands. And nobody knew or could agree as to where the Indian lands begun or ended or whatever. And uh, initially, apparently, they were content to let it be for a while. <coughs> and, <coughs> excuse me, in 1807, Chief Black, Hawk, Black Fox, familiar name, mm -hmm. um, made a deal with the United States government and basically ceded or sold everything that the Cherokees claimed or were recognized with south of Rutherford County, all the way down at least to what was believed to be the state line. Immediately, uh, those settlers south of Rutherford County petitioned to be a new county. So we got Bedford County in 1808, mm -hmm. and that gave us our southern border. And of course, then the uh, a new conflict emerges uh, because it was the def definition of the final southern border that positioned some of the big landowners in the middle part of the county to start lobbying and arguing for moving the county seat, which was considered far to the north in the county, and bringing it more to the central area. So. The 1808 establishment of Bedford County kicked off the controversy and rather bitter fight between the northern interests up around Jefferson, which is the county seat, and <clears throat> what I call the upstream landowners, because we're talking about the, uh, what do you call it, the uh, drainage area of the Stones River. Mm -hmm. So the upstream landowners were the ones that started pushing to to move the county seat. It was a miracle that they were able, able to come to any type of conclusion on all the things that were going on. And then you had, uh, we were, um, everybody seemed to be, had different interests. If you look at the Cherokees, bless their hearts, you, you think of all of the the battles that went on in 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 the northwest and and actually in 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 the northeast also, and then you get down into here, all those different tribes. Do we actually have a history 
of, of the beginning of all of those tribes and how much of the land did they cover during that time. That's always baffled me. Well, we began our discussion yesterday by looking at the, <clears throat> the tribes and their domain mm -hmm. around what eventually became Middle Tennessee, uh, say 50, 100 years before the mass migration over the mountains. Mm. Uh, and uh, the native tribes kept, unfortunately, siding with the wrong interest uh, in a, the period mid-1700s. Mm -hmm. The uh, Native Americans apparently could see that the French were bringing some economic opportunity to the tribes. We've got a, something serious going on, I think, because they want to interrupt us. Yeah, I apologize for that, but uh, okay. we've been getting a few reports this morning from um, uh, north end of Rutherford County about a situation at Rocky Fork Middle School, and we do have some confirmation on that from James Evans with Rutherford County Schools. Uh, the school is on a code yellow alert right now. He says uh, there was an altercation between two eighth grade students this morning, and one student was cut with a kitchen style knife. Uh, the school on a code yellow lockdown while the situation was resolved, but that code yellow situation is over. The only situation involved these two students, and all others are safe. They've been moved to their home rooms. Uh, police are on scene to investigate. Of course, SROs were on the scene uh, as well this morning. Uh, so no additional police officers are going to be on the campus, but they are uh, announcing this to parents. So parents know this is at Rocky Fork Middle School. And again, uh, it was an altercation between two eighth grade students this morning. One student was cut with a kitchen style knife. So uh, all other students are safe and they just wanted uh, everybody to be informed on that. So we wanted to get that information out this morning, Truman. Thank you very much, Brian. I appreciate that. It's unfortunate news, but uh, fortunately, it sounds like it's worked out without yeah. anybody being yeah. seriously hurt. But uh, it's sad to think that we've got potential for those kind of conflicts yeah. in the system. Uh, we were talking about uh, the period uh, when the Native Americans were dominant in the area. Mm -hmm. uh, and we know that uh, the French traders, trappers, uh, were dealing with the Indians and apparently had uh, developed some allegiance mm -hmm. and uh, I am speculating that the native tribes probably also realized that the uh, migration from the east, the British colonial migration over the mountains was more threatening because the British, the colonials were coming over to settle. Mm -hmm. and to stay and would begin to squeeze and there would obviously been some conflicts already and uh, so the uh, most of the tribes not all but most of the tribes in this area uh, allied with the French and we have what is generally ignored in our history American history the French and Indian War mm -hmm. I remember when I first came across that as a high school history student you wondered why were the French and the Indians fighting? Well, it's not what's meant by the French and Indian. It was an alliance of the French, the uh, traders primarily, mm -hmm. and uh, the local uh, tribes, and uh, didn't go well for the French and Indians. Uh, 
the French, one of the Louis, I have not pinned down somewhere between Louis the 13th and Louis the 16th, probably 15, 14, had declared New France, which was their claim to the west side of the Appalachian chain mm -hmm. running from New Orleans, which was their domain, all the way up towards Quebec, which was French domain. Mm -hmm. And uh, the British colonials chose to pretty much ignore that and considered it open territory for for settlement. And uh, the French and Indian War prompted the French or prompted the British to disregard a lot of the French claim. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously the Indians took a beating on that one. And uh, about the only thing of any real consequence that came out of that conflict is George Washington. He was an officer in the uh, Virginia militia, mm -hmm. and he ended up leading some of the uh, militia forces that were engaged in the, that, call it a war, and uh, was probably the only name that came, became of any prominence. Although when you read about the specific engagements and the battles, it wasn't all that impressive. Yeah. The actual battles were going one way or the other and often pretty much a draw and uh, but he developed a reputation as a young soldier a leader mm -hmm. a young officer and so you know a decade later the colonial patriots uh, looked for leadership and he was the obvious choice so that's really the the result of that French and Indian War and you think back I mean the the blessings that have come from this, um, of course, some of it is is kind of one sided. But you think of Europe coming in here, uh, the Spanish, uh, the everybody saw the um, possibilities that uh, were here in this country, and then it changed from uh, the Europeans coming in here. And, of course, there was a lot of conflict between all the tribes back in, the, in those days because it was their country, you, you might say, uh, their their territory. So it's um, that's one of the greater part of the history is how everybody um, pretty much had a stake in, in what this country was offering at that time. Well, it's interesting, too, if you look at the pattern of... Uh would you say the locales of the different tribes uh, middle tennessee was open but surrounded i mean to the east we had the cherokee ranging from upper east tennessee all the way down the tennessee valley into georgia the cherokee were uh, in a relative sense culturally advanced mm -hmm. for the other tribes in that they had established towns they had the governance of their villages or towns as they call them mm -hmm. and they even had a capital in north georgia which they acknowledged as you know the center of their uh, population uh, to the south and the cherokee were uh, agricultural they had mastered or developed some uh, agrarian skills and were growing crops and such as that uh, Excuse me, to the south were the Creeks, also called the Muscogee, 
uh, the names are interchangeable. Mm -hmm. uh, they were uh, more of a warlike uh, tribe. Over to the west was the Chickasaw and Choctaw, which some recognize as one one ethnic group, those two names. Mm -hmm. uh, they did have a common language among the two of them. They controlled West Tennessee, were also hunter-gatherers, but also had some agricultural activity. Uh, but then to the north, Kentucky and north of there, and of course we have the big uh, nations of the Iroquois, the Algonquins, and one of their sub-tribes, I guess you'd call it, was the Shawnee. Mm -hmm. The Shawnee were quite warlike. Yeah. And uh, you could call them the bullies of the group. And they considered Middle Tennessee their hunting ground and policed it to some extent. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can remember uh, the Middle Tennessee area surrounded by tribes but with no tribes based in the area as the happy hunting ground because they all used it. Well, they all used it. It was a rich hunting area and gathering. Uh, but if one tribe encountered a hunting party of another tribe, it usually was bloodshed mm -hmm. because they were all being protective, the Shawnees being the most aggressive and keeping it open. So the fact that it was open was almost a self-defense, you know, mm -hmm. uh, if we uh, don't attempt to set bases. And of course, we have one near base in Rutherford County, which was Black Fox Camp Spring. And uh, the French uh, used it as a trading base, but it also was a kind of a go-to point for the tribes when they were in the area because of the rich game, the good water, and such as that. Uh, all that obviously got pushed aside, and in fact, formally, we, we talk frequently about the Trail of Tears, which came through Rutherford County. Interesting, back in 1948, the state of Oklahoma and the United States generally recognized and celebrated the 100th anniversary of the Indian removal, giving it very much a, a positive spin at the time, and uh, pride in the Oklahoma uh, circumstances with all the, the tribes who had moved there obviously moved entirely, some of them, mm -hmm. to that area. And uh, reviewing some of the literature of that, that period and that celebration, they celebrate the civil and the phrase, quote, civilized tribes of Oklahoma. And the first uh, top of the list, of course, is the Cherokee, mm -hmm. then the, uh, the Muscogee Creek name had disappeared, the Chickasaw, the Choctaw, Shawnee's not on the list. Hmm. It makes you wonder, were they still not considered? And, and, you know, what kind of arrogance is it for us to declare that they are or are not civilized tribes? Mm -hmm. But the Shawnee didn't make the list in 1948 for the centennial. And uh, But we know they were in Oklahoma. There's a, a city in Oklahoma, Shawnee, mm -hmm. and uh, the tribes... Uh, Interesting, too, the political influence in Oklahoma of the Native American, what you call Native American vote or interest. Uh, in some ways, uh, without the Native American tribal support, uh, politicians didn't 
prosper in Oklahoma. And uh, when I was practicing law in Washington, D.C., one of my clients was the state of Oklahoma. And uh, I had frequent occasions to uh, spend time in Oklahoma City, the capital there. And I remember the first time I went through the rotunda of the Oklahoma City, Oklahoma State Capitol, mm -hmm. uh, there were four large portraits in the four quarters of the, of the rotunda. And I was told they were the four at that time, this is the 1980s, four heroes of Oklahoma. And when you stand and look around, one of them was a, a very uh, uh, proper-looking gentleman in a suit, coat, and tie, and uh, I, of course, didn't recognize him. And someone told me, "Well, that's Senator Robert Kerr." Mm -hmm. And do a little research. In the 1930s, Senator Kerr from Oklahoma was informally characterized as the king of the Senate. Mm -hmm. He had so much power through his personality and his resources and his political base that uh, he was disproportionate influence during that, that period. And he also uh, was in the oil and gas business and he, uh, through legislation, favored and enabled the oil and gas industry, which of course the basis of the economy in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. Back then, probably still today, right on the Capitol grounds is an oil well pumping away. Oh, wow. Uh, which, if you don't understand the relationships there, and of course, uh, Senator Kerr had his firm, Kerr McGee, dominant firm back in the, that time, oil and gas industry. Let's take a break there and I'll identify the other heroes of Oklahoma. All right, we'll be right back with you. From NHC's Adams Place, home of premier senior living on Memorial Boulevard. It's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS, FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. Hello, this is Greg Tidwell from Bell Jewelers. We're in the love business. People that come in here are happy, celebrating special occasions and we're very secretive. We don't talk about what people purchase. You need to announce that yourself, but we're ready to celebrate when you are. Come by and see us at Bell Jewelers at 821 Northwest Broad Street. We're across the street from Toots. We're open 10 to 6 during the week, 10 to 5 on Saturday, and close most Sundays. Are you looking for a different kind of bank? Open your eyes to a credit union. At Heritage South Community Credit Union, we help hardworking Americans achieve their financial goals faster. And because we're owned by our members, you get a piece of the pie. Visit our website, heritagesouth.org, to open your first account and see how we help when others won't. Insured by NCUA. Hey, honey, got the 70-inch flat screen mounted. Come take a look. Uh... Why are the instructions still wrapped in plastic? Instructions are just another man's suggestions. <sighs> you sure about that? Need another chance? Get one with Powerball with Double Play. Add Double Play for just a dollar and give your numbers a second chance to win up to $10 million with drawings every Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday. Powerball with Double Play and the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. We recently talked to a world-renowned gemologist. Hmm, the optic character of this ruby is brilliant. And the refractive index on this sapphire is simply superb. 
And judging by the writing on the top of this diamond, I'd say that it could be worth up to $500,000. I'll give it a scratch just to make sure. Woo! We've got ourselves a real gem here. Take it from the experts. The new September Instant Games are truly brilliant. See for yourself. Only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Hello, I am Frank Caperton. Most people know me as Frank the Computer Guy, but did you know that I also have a camera? I love to shoot events such as weddings and birthday parties, corporate events, family gatherings, ribbon cuttings. I call it event photography. Call or text me at 615-476-7823 or visit frankcaperton.com. I also preserve memories. I digitize and enhance your old family videos. 615-476-7823 or Frank. Caperton.com. This is a breaking news alert from News Radio WGNS. Brian Barrett in the WGNSRadio.com News Center. We're following a story out of North Rutherford County at Rocky Fork Middle School. Rutherford County School spokesman James Evans sending out information. There was an altercation between two eighth grade students this morning. One student was cut with a kitchen style knife. The school was on a code yellow lockdown while the situation was being resolved, but it's over now. The situation only involved two students. All others are safe and have been moved to their homeroom. Police are on the scene and are investigating the situation. And uh, again, uh, Evan says you'll notice additional police officers on the campus, but they also want to let you know additional school counselors are headed that way to assist with any students who need to talk about what they saw. Again, all students are safe, and they wanted to uh, keep you informed about the situation. An altercation between two 8th grade students this morning, one student cut with a kitchen-style knife. We'll continue to follow that story. Plus, St. Mark's United Methodist Church in Murfreesboro was headed to uh, Louisiana today. They still are to help with the impacts of Hurricane Ida. But Paul Givens tells WGNS that his volunteers were getting ready to head out. They saw that uh, a theft had occurred in Murfreesboro prior to the volunteers leaving to uh, help out with that impacted area. And the theft meant that the volunteers from St. Mark's will be traveling with fewer tools than they had originally planned. We loaded our chainsaws last night in a covered truck. It's had a canvas cover. And uh, we showed up at about 5.30 this morning, and somebody had cut in through the canvas cover and had stolen all the chainsaws that we loaded yesterday. Now, Hurricane Ida, of course, caused extensive uh, damage, that Category 4 hurricane in Louisiana. Hurricane Nicholas made uh, landfall on the Texas coast yesterday, so dealing with the tropics. If you have any information on that theft at St. Mark's United Methodist Church on North Rutherford Boulevard, you're encouraged to call Murfreesboro Police. News updates around the clock, when it breaks, and on demand at WGNSRadio.com. We are News Radio WGNS. Here at Bud's Tire, we make buying Michelin tires simpler. I'm Allison Mitchell with Bud's Tire Pros. We offer a straightforward approach to service, including nationwide warranties with every purchase. Stop in today to see our full lineup of Michelin and BF Goodrich tires. For whatever you drive, Michelin and BF Goodrich have a tire to fit any need. Bud's Tire Pros, hassle-free, guaranteed. We're located on East Main Street, exactly three miles from the town square, one mile past Rutherford Boulevard. Visit us online at BudsTireProsTN.com. Congratulations, you've retired. You might not be going into the office anymore, but you're finding that between the cleaning, the laundry, the lawn care, all of your home maintenance chores, you're still putting in a day's work every day. 
By moving to Adams Place Independent Living, the staff takes care of all that for you. Go to adamsplace.org to learn more or find us on Facebook. Adams Place. Good neighbor weather. See spotty showers and thunderstorms here this afternoon with partial sunshine developing a high in the upper 80s. Southwest winds are on 5 to 10 miles per hour. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 70. Premier 6 Theater on Broad and Jackson Heights showing all of your favorite movies. Call their hotline 896-4100 or go see a movie.com. Popcorn pop fresh daily. Their movie hotline 896-4100 or go see a movie.com. Premier 6 on Broad and Jackson Heights. From NHC's Adams Place, home of Premier Senior Living on Memorial Boulevard. It's the Truman Show on News Radio WGNS. FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. And welcome back with Greg Tucker. And uh, you're talking about Oklahoma and uh, four of the main characters in the state of Oklahoma. The four heroes, as uh, illustrated in the Capitol, mm-hmm. uh, have not been there since the 1980s, but in 1980 and we identified Robert Senator Robert Kerr mm-hmm. who sounds like he owned the state for a while back in the 1930s uh, two of the four were Native American uh, although some people might not recognize might not have been aware of that because of the Anglican anglicized name mm-hmm. uh, but one of them was in full what we recognize his Native American dress with the head, feathered headpiece and such mm-hmm. as that. And I, I knew immediately who that would be because he has some Tennessee roots. Uh, at Cherokee, who would that be? Well, it wasn't Mickey Mantle, who was from Commerce, Oklahoma. And it wasn't Johnny Bench. I don't think either one of them ever wore a headdress. Well, I, well, Johnny uh, Bench did. You know, he had his mask on when when he was <laughs> catching up. for the Cincinnati Reds. Which pushed up over his forehead, yeah. Yeah. Um, wasn't Cochise, was it? Wasn't Cochise. It was a Cherokee. Oh, it couldn't have been Cochise then. He was Apache. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Cherokee who made it possible for the Cherokees to have a written record of their own history. Hmm. Uh, Sequoia who invented the, uh, apparently reacting to the fact that the the pale faces, the whites, could read and had an alphabet. Mm-hmm. He created the Cherokee alphabet mm-hmm. and uh, documented uh, some of the history of his own tribe. Sequoia? Sequoia was his was, name? Yeah, Sequoia was his name. And he was one of the four heroes of Oklahoma. Uh-huh. Another one was kind of funny. I look across the rotunda and there's a picture and it looks like he's in his underwear. Uh-oh. Uh, shorts, white shorts and a, a, a brief kind of what we'd call a, a t-shirt or something mm-hmm. today. And uh, that name I knew but uh, I had not realized that he was a Native American. Jim Thorpe. One of the greatest oh, athletes well, yes. in history who no so dominated uh, several sports, baseball, football, track and field, back in the 20s, early 30s. And that's such a tragedy, what happened to Jim Thorpe. He went to the Olympics, I think 32 mm-hmm. or 28, won multiple uh, trophies, mm-hmm. and was later stripped of all his medals and awards, taken out of the history book, 
because he had uh, on at least one occasion been paid as a what they call a professional athlete I yeah. think playing football he played uh, also baseball yeah he was big in baseball as yeah. well and uh, I mean today we all the athletes are essentially professionals one mm -hmm. way or another through endorsements and what have you but he had taken a nominal you know a few dollars for yeah. playing a game or two and the Olympic uh, overseers at the time declared him a professional ineligible uh, for Olympic uh, recognition and uh, all that was taken from him. But if you read or and there are even a few film clips, they're just phenomenal. What uh, and he's doing things like the drop kick, yeah, which is not even used anymore. And mm -hmm. I remember seeing one field goes. Yeah, seeing one film clip where he stood at the 50-yard line, holding three or four in each arm footballs, and would drop one to the left through the goalpost and mm -hmm. turn around and would drop one the other direction through the goalpost. Just, you know, an amazing, amazing athlete and basically a, a Native American. He was going to a college in the, east, in the eastern part of the country, but I cannot think of the name of it. I don't when, uh, when his abilities were first discovered. Yeah. And it, it was a, a university that basically most of it was... Uh, uh, would would be one of the uh, a lot of the Indians from other tribes would come there for their educations. We ought to do some research on that. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that. Well, the fourth one had on a cowboy hat and uh, looked like he was in casual uh, business attire, wearing a cowboy hat. Rogers. That's right, Will <laughs> Rogers. And uh, that one I recognized right away. Yeah. Uh, I, Will Rogers may have had some uh, mixed uh, Native American blood, I don't know, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, he certainly is well thought of in Oklahoma. Uh, he got us through some of the rough times in this country. Yeah, yeah never met a man I didn't like. He yeah. was a cowboy philosopher Yeah, and actually uh, was an informal advisor to presidents, uh, Roosevelt and uh, such. But uh, the Tennessee connection, certainly through the Cherokees and the uh, and the Indian removal, we know was uh, initiated but not carried out, but initiated by the Tennessean Andrew Jackson, and uh, that uh, as an attorney, I have to have some uh, negative about the removal, not only the uh, the hardship and the unfairness on the tribes. But uh, Jackson essentially said, uh, I don't care what the Supreme Court says, uh, I'm going to do what I want to do. Yeah. And because uh, the Supreme Court said, you know, neither you nor the state of Georgia, which was the one that led it, uh, had the legal authority to take the land of the Indians. Uh, they were looking at treaties and, and mm -hmm. other claims. And Jackson said, you know, if you want to try to enforce it, you know, come on. And, uh, of course, he was out of office before the actual removal took place. A lot of people don't realize that. Uh, his successor could have uh, changed the plan but didn't. And uh, the Tennessee Native Americans ended up, most of them, in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. You know, there was one section of the Cherokee tribe that went into the hills and the mountains 
and uh, later was recognized a uh, reservation up in the uh, Smokies. In fact, yeah. the Cherokee Indian Reservation there, which was the the holdouts, the ones that uh, avoided the uh, the uh, U.S. military that was moving them, uh, is right adjacent to the uh, boundary of the Smoky Mountains National Park. Mm-hmm. Well, you think about it is, I know you were thinking as an attorney about those particular things, but it's hard for us to look back in those days and actually say what was right and what was wrong because there were uh, there were so many things going on at the time. Uh, it was basically a war when you get right down to it. And where do you decide uh, what the boundaries of the war were? Because, I mean, we, we think about the war in the 1860s, but back in those days, it was much more complicated than what we went through during that particular time. It was. And like I say, the Indians, I think, the Native Americans, recognized an inevitability mm-hmm. and uh, could have done more to resist the removal. But I think they saw that it was inevitable that the uh, European colonial eastern states were coming west, mm-hmm. and uh, no matter how much they tried to fight or eliminate that migration, it was going to keep coming. Yeah. So uh, certainly could have been handled differently, but uh, I think there was a lot of acquiescence on the part of the tribes to, you know, uh, be removed. Yeah. Uh, because there was really very little, with the exception of the Cherokee group that hid in the hills, there was very little active resistance to the removal mm-hmm. uh, and uh, for even so today they still have a, a, a state Oklahoma where they're politically influential mm-hmm. and uh, I know when I represented them in the circle of contacts I had uh, you know, there were three or four that uh, were just full-blooded uh, Muscogee yeah. Cherokee and uh, they knew they had uh, they had to vote and used it. Well, the the Lakota tribes are the ones I think about a lot because uh, they were they were very powerful in, in the upper mid Midwest. Yeah, they're centered in what we call the Dakotas yeah. in that area. Yeah. Well, one thing I was wanting to ask you, since we you got on this subject. Did the uh, uh, people, the Indians, did they have uh, a right to vote during, and when did it become about in those particular times? Oh, that was much, much, much later. Uh, They were not voting back in the mid-1800s. But uh, I'd have to look to see just when. I imagine in the state of Oklahoma they began to have... uh, be enfranchised to have mm-hmm. the vote and probably before they were recognized by the United States because they were still being treated as a a separate uh, uh, population mm-hmm. you know the Indian population still to some extent we see some of that because we're beginning in our lifetime we've begun to recognize that uh, there should be certain rights that uh, 
uh, are above the rights of the uh, United States even. Yeah. We see this in like the gambling casinos and such as that. Uh, the position being the courts have decided that the states can't regulate completely the activity of the Indian reservations, that there's some sovereignty involved in, in the tribes. Mm -hmm. You made reference to the American Indians. I've said that a couple of times. Uh, it reminds me of a TV program we were watching not long ago. And uh, it was uh, a couple of fellows playing and singing a very good kind of a country uh, bluegrass style. One of them obviously had the look of the Native American. The mm -hmm. other one looked like the Native pale face. And at some point between songs, the uh, pale face said, uh, well, what a privilege it's been over the years to have a partner, a Native American. He had mm -hmm. learned more about the American Indian and what have you. And the uh, Native American looks up and says, well, I'm not an Indian. And everything kind of stops. And he says, Christopher Columbus was lost and thought he had landed in India. So he named the locals there Indians, and for some reason it caught on. And he turns to the audience and says, if you want to talk to a real Indian, call AT&T. <laughs> Do we have a caller? Yeah, we have a caller. Caller, welcome aboard with Greg Tucker. Hey, uh, well, this is Minister Flora Blackman. Hey, Flo. Hey, how you doing? I was good. Calling. How are you, hon? I'm doing good. I'm just calling and talk to you, but let me be on your program to talk about that benefit that day. I'd like to thank you for it. It was very successful here. I heard uh, someone told me this morning that you did really, really well, and yeah, and I'm yeah. proud of you, Flo. I'm no, proud thank of you. And we still doing really, really well. Yeah. Good. And so I'd just like to thank you for letting me be on your program, okay? Uh, you're a special lady, Flo. Uh, okay, then. Thank you're you. You're welcome anytime. Thank you. Thank uh -huh. you, hon. I'm glad they did well on that. Um, that was the uh, sister, uh, Kato Miller, who um, had a really bad uh, automobile accident that wasn't any... While it wasn't any part of her, uh, thing, anything that she would have done wrong. I mean, and then she ended up um, having uh, numerous surgeries, and hopefully uh, she's going to be getting better soon. But you need to keep her in your prayers, and and um, if anyone would like to contribute, uh, we're we're talking about um, the. Uh, Spring Hill Missionary Baptist Church on Bilbro Avenue uh, having a major part of it. And uh, uh, Dr. Jerry uh, Marable was a special person that was up involved in it. Let's see, what were we, where were we? I mean, we were talking about... AT&T, I think. Oh, okay. The technical support staff. <laughs> um, I mean, it... it that's, uh, that particular, those wars that were going on during that time, um, you have a strong allegiance for both sides. I know I do, yeah. and I, I have met a number over the years, and I know that uh, Sarah Bell has spent a great deal of time up there in the Lakota areas and uh, actually has spoken in Washington 
uh, when they have special needs, she will go up there with them, and uh, um, she has a great heart and uh, a great love for uh, all the Indian nations. And I think most of us, it, it, it's, it's a tragedy when you think about it. It's hard for them to um, change their ways of how they were brought up uh, over all the generations and, and uh, it, it's been very difficult for them and many of them have come become very successful as as uh, in the medical uh, industry engineering all those particular areas but it's hard to change from that particular culture that uh, uh, they was they were pretty much born to uh, do well I guess I'm one that believes that uh we all should be entitled to maintain and preserve or keep whatever culture we think uh, yeah. you know, we're properly a part of. Uh, I went to grammar school in the early 1950s in a little uh, hole in the wall, literally sunny slope, Arizona. And in my class, you know, my best friends were Mexicans and black. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it was really a... Uh, a mixing bowl of uh, all the different ethnic, with one exception. Down towards Phoenix, on the highway going into Phoenix, was the Indian school. Mm. And the Indians went to the Indian school. All the rest of us went to the, the public school. So, What was the difference? I have no idea, except that they were in their school, and their yeah. school was on a campus uh, just to the north of the Phoenix uh, city limits mm -hmm. and uh, I remember thinking the buildings looked like they were made out of adobe or something a yeah. style of the building uh, but the education system did not segregate black and white at all but segregated everybody else and the Indian population mm -hmm. and of course the Arizona Indian tribes are very different from the tribes in the middle Tennessee area we were talking about interesting uh, I don't know why. I was thinking uh, Oklahoma, the state of Oklahoma, was my client. I'm practicing out of Washington, D.C. But uh, at the same, in the same time frame, uh, the domino, a dominant industry of that period, Kerr McGee, mm -hmm. uh, and I was representing the the uranium side of Kerr McGee. They were into all different energy areas, uh, and I'm not sure why I ended up with so much. Uh, uh, time committed to the Oklahoma clients. Uh, while practicing in Washington, I was considered the Southern boy and quickly noticed that I would get assigned the case in Jackson, Mississippi, or Montgomery, Alabama, or Atlanta, uh, Florida cases, Tennessee cases, had some cases in the Middle District of Tennessee. They could understand your language. I think that was it. That, yeah. Uh, you know, they speak the language because uh, I didn't think I had much of an accent. But for a colleague from uh, Massachusetts, you know, I guess it sounded that way. Uh, Oklahoma, no one ever really reacted to accents or anything. But uh, uh, actually, we have a uh, Church of Christ minister uh, at uh, Science Hill Church of Christ from Oklahoma, and uh, uh, I think well, you may not have met him. But uh, he has a 
a great way of communicating to everybody. He, every once in a while, he'll come by Bud's store on Friday morning, which you're, uh, you refuse to get up early enough to come by and dine with us. Maybe somebody ought to pick me up one time. just. To... Oh, I would do it if you would come, <laughs> believe me. In fact, I, I think I have asked you to do that a, a few times. That's awfully early. Hey, uh, is the Kittrell Ham breakfast going to be on Friday, uh, a Saturday? I, I have heard somebody say so. In fact, uh, Robert Stroop, one of our war heroes from World War II, um, he told me uh, maybe it was yesterday, yesterday that he said that uh, uh, he heard that it was on. Now I drove over there and looking for a sign to say that they were going to have it and did not see one. So if anybody knows, please contact uh, the radio station or, or Greg or myself one and let us know for sure that we're going to have it this Saturday morning. Uh, yeah, I think you need to inform your listeners on Friday if we know for sure by then. Yeah, because last time you and I went over there and there was nothing going on. And, that, and that's been... Uh, uh, the thing that we always look forward to is the third Saturday in the month when they would have those, and that's when everybody would meet and just have a great time and enjoy the the food. I guess this coming Saturday is the third Saturday. Yeah, it is. It yeah. most certainly is. I did hear that Las Casas had their fish fry, but I don't know that I confirmed that. I wasn't able to confirm that. Yeah, that would have been the previous yeah, last Saturday, if it yeah. happened. Yeah, they're usually back-to-back. -back. Yeah. Well, tell me when you're going to be on the Adventures and Learning again. When's your next show? Or, or, uh, uh, this coming Monday. I start at 1030, following uh, my friend Steve Daniel. His program starts at 930. His, his is about histories of cases criminal cases I in the county. I think it has some judicial uh, emphasis in it this does, program. Yeah. Uh, I spoke to Eloise Gaither, who was in his uh, program, mm -hmm. and she said that she felt like she had to apologize for not sitting in on mine, but she says anything relating to the courts is of interest to her. Yeah. And, of course, she had a lot to do with it Absolutely. back in those times. Uh, she held it together for years. Yeah, and and probably was uh, the best circuit court clerk that they've ever had here in Rutherford County. She was amazing. and uh, She's also a good gospel singer, too. She is a great singer. Now, tell me what the uh, uh, what are you going to be talking about next Monday morning? Oh, we're going to do a detailed history of uh, one of the few remaining antebellum courthouses in Tennessee. Is it ours? Huh? Which one is it? <laughs> well, yeah, you'll have to follow up and see. So is it still open for someone to come in and enjoy your class? I think if somebody wanted to drop by, certainly they could come in. There is a, those who are participating uh, every Monday are uh, registered, and I think there's a fee involved. Mm -hmm. But uh, we wouldn't turn away a guest who showed up. How did they register? Did they just come over to the church, uh, the Methodist church? That was all done in advance through the Internet. and. But you can actually break rules. If you want to come by, you have an opportunity to 
not only sit and enjoy uh, the things that you're saying, which are always uh, very interesting, and then maybe uh, have lunch if, if they pay their fee to come in and everything. Uh, I'm not putting you on the spot. Well, yeah, I am. I, I, yeah, you're, I would welcome anybody like that. Let's yeah. see. There's a guy named Cantrell. Zane, Zane Cantrell. Who, uh, it's not Cantrell. <laughs> well, he puts on airs occasionally. Yeah. Uh, he seems to be the organizer or one of the organizers, and I'm sure he could accommodate somebody for lunch. Yeah, so just call Zane Cantrell? Yeah. I, I've got his number if they want to call me. <laughs> all right are you through i'm through and i think we've pretty much used our allotted time yeah and uh enjoy your enjoy yourself today all right it's a special we, day we won't be back on a regular schedule with you probably until october but october's not far away if today is the 14th of course today's the 14th i have to remember that yeah Thank you, Truman. I always enjoy it. All right, Greg. Okay, guys, we'll see you in the morning at uh, 9 o'clock. And be sure, don't forget the ringing of the bell. This is the first time it's been done in a long, long time uh, for the Constitution of this country and also for the, the, the great veterans that have made this uh, country a free country and what... Um, it's the greatest country that the world has ever known. And we reach out to so many others. So it's going to be over at um, the Courthouse Square. And bring your lounge chairs. And don't forget it because it's going to be a special event. And the time will be at, uh, I think I'm right, 2.30 to be there and uh, enjoy all the things that are going on and express your love of our country. And we'll see you then. From NHC's Adams Place, home of premier senior living on Memorial Boulevard, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS, FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSradio.com.